We're going to be in Mark chapter 3. I'm going to begin in verse 7. Well, actually, verse 6 will be where our text picks up, and we'll be down to verse 12. That's the section that we're looking at. Um, but I want to begin. I just want to tell y'all, and I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, I'm sitting there, trying to sing and all that, and I got this kind of churn in my gut. Because I know what I'm going to preach to you. It's not that hard. It's a simple message. But I'm afraid I can't get it across to you like I want to. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. There's a, there's a challenge to what I have here. But I'm going to ask God. Actually, they just sung the song. Give me that faith like uh, um, Daniel, I think it was. Daniel, thank you. I couldn't remember the lyrics. Faith like Daniel and, uh, and hope like Moses. That's what I'm going to pray that God will give me. Will you all pray with me to that? So I can do this the right way and I can hopefully help you with this message. Let's pray together. Lord, I need you this morning. I need you to help me to convey this. Lord, you know that this, the, the words are simple, but this is kind of deeper than words. And you're going to have to help these people understand it, of course, help me to communicate it. But above any communication and understanding, we need you. We need you to be present with us. So that we can hear your voice. So we can follow you. And ask you in Jesus' name. You don't have to advertise a fire. It kind of draws its own attention, you know? No offense to some of you. I think we have some, some teenagers who are in high school who are cheerleaders, and they're, they're wonderful in what they do. I appreciate the athleticism and all that sort of thing involved. But if you're actually watching a ball game, you don't need the cheerleaders unless the game is boring. It's when, when, the, when the game's on the line and, and, and the, 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 there's like points that are set, one or two points separating there's seconds on the clock. I can tell you, nobody cares about go-go, rah-rah teams. They're all on the edge of their seat. Am I right? I mean, at least that's me anyway. That's me. That's me. Some of you like hunting and fishing. If you love to hunt and fish, nobody has to work too hard to make sure you know what's in season at this time and what's biting here and there. You know those things. Nobody has to inform you. You, are, that you're the one we go to to ask, what equipment do I need to buy? You're, you're the one who's got all the information. You're the one who has that. Why then do you think that we think <laughs> that this whole God thing needs a bunch of hype men? to keep things going? Why do we think that we need preachers to stand in pulpits on Sunday mornings or even Sunday nights and Wednesday nights in revival services to somehow pump us up so that we'll be interested in the things of God and engaged in the things of God and faithful in the things of God? Why do we think that we need our friends and our loved ones to see some kind of riding across the sky, lightning and fireworks, in order for them to, to get saved and to follow Jesus. Why do we think this? I'm, and I'm, I'm saying this as one who thinks this often. That I, I, I can tell you, I can't tell you how many times I've, you know, for one reason or another, you have to, to miss a Sunday morning service. And, and I tell you, I just for me, it's just like it sets my week off all wrong when I have to do that. Because I have this gut feeling like I've got to have somebody preaching at me so that I can get right for the week. And, and I want you to understand we're missing the point. We're missing the real thing. Let, let, me, let me stop real quick and make sure I underscore something for you. None of what I said is necessarily wrong. It's great. Some of you got saved because you some some powerful experience. 
explosion happened and God spoke to you through it. I, that's great. It's great to come to church and to listen to good preaching. That's great. But that's not the point. You understand. The real thing. We want, I want, I think you want a real encounter with real power. But unfortunately, we're getting satisfied with Energizer Bunny Christians who work themselves ragged, quote, for the call of Christ. Introvert, or rather, extroverted entertainers who make us go, ooh, aren't they talented? Isn't he good? Isn't she great? Exciting ad pitches that overwhelm our emotions and our senses to make a decision for Christ. That's what we were trying to get. But I want you to understand this. This is what I want to try to get across to you. That if you ever, ever really meet Jesus, if you ever really know Jesus, you ever spend some time with the real Jesus, not the Jesus that's painted in pictures or that we see on the movies, or even some preachers want to try to paint as your everything for your, your, your boyfriend who does everything you want him to do. But the real Jesus, if you ever get to meet him, you'll know that these things are not only not him, they're actually a distraction from him. In this passage, I want you to begin with me. Look at me in verse 6. The Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, talking about Jesus and how they might destroy him. Jesus shows up in chapter 1 of Mark, and he shows up on the scene. He makes a big splash. He says, y'all repent. Uh, y'all follow me. I've got the kingdom. I, you, you need to believe what I'm preaching to you. That's what he says on the beginning. And he just goes one after another after another, and he's offending everybody left, right, and center. Of course, he's healing people. He's helping people. But the religious people don't like it. So here in verse 6, they're, they're after him. They're after him. They're trying to kill him. And I'll tell you, if somebody's after me, trying to kill me, trying to do something against me, when things go off the rails, I can tell you what I do is I try to go put my hands to the plow and fix it. I try to fix it. Try to get them right. If I thought that you thought something bad about me, I'd probably go right to you and try to smooth it over as quick as I could. I would try. I would. That's how I do. I'm just going to try to fix it. But I want you to see what Jesus does in verse 7. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him from Judea. See, the real Jesus movement isn't about energizer bunnies who just keep going and going and going and doing stuff and doing stuff and doing stuff and doing stuff. Jesus withdraws himself to rest. In the middle, by the way, in the middle of a crisis, this is not just because it's, it's the weekend, it's time for him to take a break. There's a bad thing going on. People are trying to kill him, and he's taking a break. He's taking a rest. He's withdrawn. In fact, this was his custom. If you would go to Mark chapter 1 and verse 35, he does it at another time. He's been, things have been going full bore. Things are going just right. If you look at the circumstances in chapter 1 and verse 35, it all seems to be working perfectly. But Jesus decides, I'm going to go off and take a little break. I'm going to spend some time with my father. That's what he does. But I want you to notice that even though he withdraws himself, he takes himself off the grid, he goes off to do this to time, have a time of rest. Look in verse 7, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea. Here Jesus, can I just put it to you plainly? He's doing nothing. He's literally doing nothing but being Jesus. He's withdrawing himself, and look at what people are doing. They're following him. They're looking for him. They're looking for him everywhere. And they're doing so, if you look with me in verse 8, it says, 
they're coming from all these places, from Jerusalem, Ionium, and from Jordan, from Jordan, Tyre, and Sidon. A great multitude, this is what I want to show you, a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. They had heard about all the stuff he had done. They had heard about all these things. And then in verse 10, it says that he healed many of these people. What is Jesus doing? Do you understand what Jesus is doing? He is withdrawing himself. He's doing nothing. He's just being. Yet he heals all these people. But we somehow think we've got to be all about doing something all the time. Jesus has all these people coming to him. They, they love him. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that's interesting about being here with y'all, I want a little side note for you just to give you a frame of mind here. Me and my family have been through a pretty difficult time over the last year or so, and since pretty much since August coming in here, y'all would have thought, just based on what y'all said, I, I don't know what we've done to snow you over, but you would have thought that we had hung the moon coming in here talking to y'all. And let me tell you, it feels good. It sure does. I'm a human being just like the rest of y'all. You, somebody sweet talks you, you are going to like them. I don't care how ugly and how mean they are. That's how I am. I'm just like the rest of you. I'm telling you that, sort of, jo- not joking, I'm being serious, but sort of as, a, as an allusion to what's going on here, you've got all these people coming to Jesus from everywhere. We know from other incidences like this in Jesus' ministry that when they came, they were ready to make him the king. They were ready to tell the emperor of Rome, you go on, buddy, we got our king now. We're ready to take up arms if it takes to go against the Roman Empire because we got the man we need. They're ready. But what does Jesus do? Look with me in verse 9. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship would wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. Part of this is so that he could just get away from them so that we know from other places when Jesus would get on this ship, he could speak to them off from the water. But there's also, I happen to think he's kind of got his getaway car ready to go. He's ready to slip out. What I'm trying to say to you is that we think we need these energizer bunnies that just keep going and going and going. We think we need extroverted, extroverted uh, pitch men who go and bask in the glory. But Jesus even though they're ready to crown him king, he's just going to stay on the mission. The mission he has is not to be the king. Not here. He's going to be the king of kings and lord of lords, but not the king of Jerusalem at this time. He's not going to do that. In fact, if you were to go to chapter 1 and verse 38, you would see that he is on mission to preach the gospel of the kingdom to those people. That's why he's there. He's going to do all those things. By the way, it's the same thing we're called to. Getting, you see, even though he's not standing there basking in the glory, what is he doing? He's sort of slipping off to the side, getting in a little boat, ready to take off whenever he can. And it says in verse 10, For he had healed many, inasmuch as they pressed on him to touch him, as many as had plagues, they keep on coming, and they're pressing in, they're pushing in, they're coming in. And then in verse 11, these pl- let me go back to verse 10, the last verse, it says plagues there, these many plagues that they had. That plague certainly had physical ailments, but there was also a spiritual aspect to this as well, where it says in verse 11, the unclean spirit, when they saw him, so I believe that, and you can tell this, if you go to the first three chapters of, uh, or first two chapters of Mark, Jesus is also casting out demons. He's, 
he's, he's breaking the bondage of the devil in people's lives as well. And as he's doing that, he's casting out demons here, I believe. In verse 11, it says these unclean spirits, when they see him, they fall down before him and cry, Thou art the Son of God. And these guys are ready, they're, they're ready to advertise to the world to tell us that it says there they cry, they scream. These demons are screaming out, You are the Son of God. But look at what Jesus does in verse 12. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. And they're ready to advertise for him. And Jesus says, no, y'all shut up. I don't want to hear this. I don't want y'all to talk about it. I want you to be quiet. So, and this, by the way, would not be the first time that people wanted to advertise what Jesus was going on. Now, please understand there's a lot going on behind this. Jesus is not ready to be crucified. There's, there's reasons that Jesus is doing this. But I want you to understand that because Jesus is telling not only devils, but the, 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 the man who had leprosy and the deaf and dumb man later on in Mark, he tells them, don't tell people about it. Did you know that doesn't mute Jesus' power one bit? Jesus is able to, able to heal and able to help. He's able to do this. Yet here we are, we're sitting there thinking, we've got to have these people up here doing exciting things and pitching to the world. Look at what's going on. Look at what's going on. No, we don't need to do that because Jesus, please understand this about my Jesus. He's not loud. He's not boisterous. He doesn't push. He doesn't force. He doesn't have to. He doesn't do that. In fact, I want to read this to you from Matthew chapter 12. It says, and this is Matthew's uh, quoting from Isaiah uh, chapter 42 where he says, He will not, speaking of Jesus, He will not strive nor cry. Neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench. He says he won't break a damaged branch. He won't even snuff out a dying flame. That's not the way he operates. He doesn't do those things until it says, until he sends forth judgment unto victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. The point is that he doesn't have to do any of those things, but he's going to win. I get, I get furious. I get whipped up into a frenzy sometimes. And I, I know y'all think I'm just this calm and collective and cool guy. I know you just think I got it all put together. But let me tell you, you talk to Vanessa, she'll tell you what I'm really like. And let me tell you, sometimes, especially you tell me, go, go to the store and bring back a box about yay by yay that's supposed to build a cabinet yay by yay. And tell me to put it together. Let me tell you, I'll have no religion left. Words will be screaming out of my mouth that nobody wants to hear. And my wife and my family are ready to burn me at the stake. Because I get whipped into a fury. And the reason I do this, and it's, that's, that's, that's part of me and how I'm, I'm, I'm structured. Some of y'all might be like this too. But the reason I do this is because I feel like if I work harder and meaner, you get madder about it. I can fix it. I even when I preach to y'all, sometimes I don't even tell it then because man, I don't think they're listening. So let me amp it up a little bit. I, I do that. I do. I know I'm confessing my sins to you. This is what we do. But Jesus doesn't do any of that stuff. Jesus is not that way. But what we're doing is we're so focused on the hoopla. We're so focused on the excitement, the big things. We're advertising a fire, Christians. But what this world needs, what I need, what you need, is a real encounter with Jesus. 
Jesus is not about advertising. He's not about basking in the limelight. He is absolutely, absolutely not about continuous busyness. When you get to meet Jesus, you get some healing done. Already, and this is only Mark chapter 3, I'm in verse 7, Mark chapter 3, verse 7, the verses preceding this in Mark, just in Mark, and this is what these people are responding to. There's already been Peter's mother-in-law has been healed. The town of Capernaum has seen a mass healing by Jesus. There's been a leprous man who has been healed of leprosy. There was a paralyzed man who was then healed. There was a man who walked into the synagogue with a withered hand, and God made that hand whole and well again. This has all happened up to this point. And, there's, and that's not even to mention probably a million other things that Jesus probably did that are not even recorded in the Scripture. They heard about all of this stuff. And I want you to understand something about the mindset of these people as they're coming to Jesus wanting to be healed. You and I, I, I complain about it just like the rest of you do. But we have this healthcare system and these doctors and these nurses and uh, these pharmacies and all of the system that's around us. And again, I'll complain about it. I don't like how much they charge us. I don't like the runaround I get. I don't like having to go for one thing and then they find something else. I don't like all that stuff. But let's just be honest with ourselves. Thank the Lord that we have a health care system in this country. It may not be perfect. It's not as good as it should be. But it's awesome. Especially compared to the first century. Think about this. These people were dying of stuff that today we not only have cures for, but we don't even think about now because of our medical, medical uh, miracles that have happened. But all I'm trying to get you to see is that these people are not coming to Jesus for a little facelift. They're not coming to Him just to feel a little more energy, to get a little better. Some of us, are, that's what our problem is. We go, we want, a little, we want to perk up. That's not what these people are coming for. They're coming because they are panicked. They need this. This is a life and death situation to the point, can I just emphasize, some of you that are seated here, or maybe you have family members or members that are like this, that this is not, that, that the health care system is not about going and seeing a doctor so you can get a little more pep in your step. You're talking about extending your life a few more months, a few more days. This is where these people were. They were in that kind of condition. It was the difference between life and death. And they were, if you look in verses 9 and 10, they're thronging him. Verse 9 in King James, they're thronging him. They're literally pressing in. In fact, I think it says that in the verse, verse 10 there. It says they pressed him. They, they're literally, can you imagine a bunch of people, hundreds of people, panicked, knowing if I could just put my hand on him, maybe that's the thing. I've got to get close to it because if I don't, I'm not going to be able to feed my family. Because if I don't, I might die tomorrow. Because if I don't, I'll have a pain that will never go away. Because if I don't, I will not have any hope. That's where these people are. And what they do is they get close to Him as close as they can. And they get close so they can touch Him. And it says in verse 10 that He healed many. I think we read something like that, we hear something like that, and I think we think, well... It's an interesting story, a good Sunday school lesson. Jesus healed people. But man, I got some real sickness right now. I gotta have some help. I want to remind you in the time that I have with you that Jesus is still in the healing business. First of all, let me let me make this let me let me develop this for you for this moment. He's in the healing business. First of all, he has taken away the ultimate cause of every 
every kind of sickness that we've ever had. Do you understand this first? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. But the chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. The reason we have sickness, not your personal sickness, but all sickness in this world, the reason the human condition is one where we will all be sick at some point and we will all die, the reason is because we have sinned. We were born in sin. We desired to sin. We choose to sin. We wallow in sin. And that sin, that sin nature, that sin that has permeated this world, it is killing us. It is destroying us. It is that sin, that sin that causes death. That is why we have death. That is why we have sickness. And Jesus has paid the price for that. He died on the cross. And we have ultimate victory over that. And I want to go ahead and say this. And He is ultimately going to heal every pain that we have one day. I've been, I don't know why, but I have just, I have glommed onto this verse over the last two years so much, and I really love this passage in Roman, or rather, Revelation chapter 21, where it says that God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And He said, Behold, I make all things new. That's what God is going to give us one day. He's still in the business of healing. He's still in that business. He's already paid the price. The sin damage is taken away so that one day in the future, not only will that sickness be gone, but the pain from the sickness and the tears from the sadness, all of that is going to be gone. But here's where I have the trouble. I mean, let's, let's be honest with each other real quick. Because that makes Amen! Hallelujah! Right? That's good stuff. But right now, right now, I'm hurting. Right now, I've got some sickness. Right now, I can't get out of the bed. Right now, my spouse is looking at a matter of weeks or months before they're gone. Right now, I'm having to go visit my grandfather in another city because I don't know how much longer it's going to have on this earth. Right now, Things aren't right. Right now, it hurts. And I want you to know, trying to be as transparent and honest with you as I know how to be, I believe and trust my God for them. But it's hard right now. It's hard right now. Some of y'all know that better than I know that. Some of y'all are in the middle of some stuff that I don't even understand. You told me, but I don't understand all of it. I can't feel it the way you feel it. But I know that it's hard right now. But while we're waiting on that ultimate healing, right now, we have to trust Him for the healing that we need. We have to quit looking on my efforts. I need some healing. I need healing from bitterness. You may say, well, Matthew, I'm talking about cancer. You need healing from that too. I get it. But I'm just telling you, Matthew Tilly needs healing from bitterness. And I've got to quit working on my efforts to get revenge and get stress relief. I have got to instead trust in the one who heals. To get that when it's his time and his way, I have to look to him for that. I've got to quit looking for my ideas of how to get joy and happiness. This time of the year is terrible for some of y'all emotionally. 
Maybe it's for me too. Maybe I won't. I'll, maybe I'll admit that later. But school time is a tough emotion for some of us. It's dark and cold. Doesn't feel like it's tomorrow. Spring feels like months away because it is months away. It just feels tough. And when we get in those moments, I think we, we try to find ways to get joy and happiness. And, and sometimes it's sinful things that we try to go after, and they're wrong. But I want you to see that the one who's going to give that to us is going to be Jesus. We've got to stop soothing our conscience and soothing our guilt, trying to fix everything ourselves, put our hands to the plow, trying to help ourselves. We have to look to the one who's going to take the guilt away, the shame away, the hurt away. We have to do this. You don't need more work on your part, more ideas, more experiences. That's, I'm t- frankly, I'm tired of trying that stuff. It's not work for me. Maybe it's work for you. But it doesn't work for me. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. We've got to take a page out of, the, out, of this, out of this story. These people, what do they do? They try to get as close as they could to him. They, they, they thronged him. They pressed up against him. You may say, well, that just seems like chaos. I agree. I wouldn't want to be Jesus in the middle of that. Then people pushing up against you. Could you imagine that? How I would be panicked with all these people around me. I don't like it when I have to. Have, have you ever gone to, like, a, 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 I, was, I went to uh, Appalachian State football game not this, this, past, this past fall. And this is the middle of COVID, y'all. And there were people everywhere. And I just sort of felt, oh, this feels weird. It's so strange. I didn't feel right until I was sitting in my seat looking at the field. And even then, I was like, man, there's a lot of people here. And they're all up against me. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I couldn't imagine being like Jesus in the middle of this. These people trying to get close to But I'm trying to get you to see that what did they do? They did everything in their power to get as close as they could so they could touch him. I'm trying to get you to see this. You've got to get as close as you can to Jesus and reach out to him. This is the hard part to try to communicate to you because you've got to go to Jesus. You just have to go to him and him alone. You've got to shut out all the noise and all the busyness. And and I'm just reflecting on my own life right now. There's just so many voices and so many things coming at me. And I was noticing it the other day. I'm just confessing my sins again to y'all. I was noticing the other day. I was riding down the road. I'm on the road quite a bit, especially coming up here. It's it's a little bit of a drive coming back and forth. It's it's a fine drive, but you're on the road. And I find myself listening to stuff all the time. And I was like, man, what in the world are you doing? Just turn it off. Turn it off. And that's just a small, silly example. For some of y'all, it's it's an addiction to social media or or games on your phone or or, or television, or whatever it is, whatever your problem is, you all got your poison. Shut it off. And just talk to the Lord. Some of us, we, we've got to go to Him for Him. Some of us, like myself, I've grown up in church, and I've been around church, and I, I love church. I love being in church and hearing songs that I remember and singing songs that, 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 that are in my... I, mean, I can sing them when I... I, I, I imagine whenever I'm Many years from now, I hope, and my mind is no longer what it used to be. There'll be songs I'll never forget. I, I love that. I love that. And there's something about, there's, a, there's an experiential aspect to church to me. But I'm saying that as much as that's a good thing, and I love that. And I love that about church. Don't get me wrong. I love that. But I don't need more experience. I need to go to Jesus for Him. For Him. 
I need to go to Him in faith. Because everything I'm talking to you about, this is, this is the tough, difficult thing, and I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and just kind of dwell here and be done here, because I, I want to get this across to you. Everything I'm talking about, I think you believe in your mind Jesus heals. I don't do this much, but I'm going to do it. Can I get an amen that Jesus heals? Jesus heals. I think you're on board. But what I'm talking about is not just believing in your mind that Jesus heals. This is getting to that point where you go to Him and say, you're going to feel weak. You might even feel stupid. I know what the doctors say. I know what the court system says. I know what my friends say. I know what my job man, or my boss man says about the job. I know what all these things say. I know what they say. But I'm going to you, God. And if anybody's going to help me, it's going to be you. You've got to get to that place where it's, you may feel weak and it may feel pointless. It may feel that it's bigger than you because it is. But you've got to just reach out to him. And I, I know this, this, even my illustration is, is weak and pointless. Because I'm talking about reaching out and touching the invisible, the immense, the eternal. But that's what I'm talking about doing. Reaching out, grabbing hold of the Lord, and saying, I need your healing. Because when I go to these people, here's Jesus. He's withdrawing from everybody. He's giving in his getaway boat, and he's even telling the demons to hush your mouth, don't tell nobody. He's as quiet and as gentle and as peaceful and as, as just nothing. But these people come to him, they reach out, and they touch him. I'm reading this. I'm not, if I were to tell you this story and put somebody else in there, some revival preacher in there, you'd say, well, that wasn't much of a revival service. What was going on there? That wasn't much of a tent meeting. What's going on there? Because what Jesus is doing is bigger than anybody shouting hallelujah. It's bigger than anybody running the aisles. It's bigger than the, the best gospel singer you can imagine belting it to the top of their lungs. It's bigger than any chills that run up and down your spine. It is bigger than any of those things. What Jesus is providing is real power. It's power that supersedes my imagination, not to mention my, my perceived reality. His power is real, and it is big. You don't know how it grieves me, but I have a whole other point, and I'm going to skip it. But I want you all to know, you need to come to Jesus. When you come to Jesus, you listen to what He tells you. You relish His presence. You'll be transformed. As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Don't be like Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. Because Elijah was up there and he was trying to find God. He wanted a voice from God. He wanted to hear from God. And he was looking for help in the wind and the fire and the earthquake. The big, the amazing, the over-the-top experience. You know where he found that help? Still, small voice. I just want you to know that's how my God works. Now, what He does is amazing. But He does it in ways that just sort of a little under, under 
your father get into your attention. Don't confuse power, or rather action with power, excitement for life, movement for healing. Jesus is always going to be found in the stillness, in the weakness, in the meekness, in the quiet. I want to encourage you to come to Jesus. And I ask you to stand. If you'd like to come to Jesus today, I want to encourage you to do that.